You seem to have developed a rather remarkable relationship. Well, the irony is that there was, if you call this remarkable, it existed before, before we ran against each other, before he beat me and made me unemployed. And uh, needless to say, when that happened, I wasn't the most happy guy in the world. But then after that, why well, we've had a pleasant relationship. You know, but the important thing about your question is it sent a signal to countries, not just the countries we visited, but to countries in Europe, countries around the world. American politics can be tough, elbows out, but it also is something bigger than that. No matter whether you're Democrat or Republican, it's something bigger, and that's helping others. It's not to say their differences don't matter, not to say they shouldn't have political arguments, but I think if we remembered our common humanity, it would make our politics work better, not, not worse. We're going to Florida right now to play golf tomorrow, so I'm not too sick. <laughs> I had a dream about this place. continues and tonight we are going to explore the blurred lines between fact and mythology surrounding some pretty big wheels at the deep state factory um, because at last Bill Clinton is here friends. So imagine if you will Bill sitting in his big comfy swivel chair in the White House on the night of his inauguration. We are told that when you are elected president of the United States, you become the leader of the free world, you know, and you are in control of the most powerful office in the most powerful nation on earth. But how about this instead, right? Picture a machine, and this is a machine that they've been building and developing for 50 years by the time Bill Clinton is lighting that cigar reclining in his chair and, you know, probably side-eyeing one of his young female interns. Now, they are continually expanding and tinkering with this machine. And the machine is so big and so powerful, even by 1993, that you can't point at any one agency and say they are in control. You know, the US government, the CIA, the men in black, the fucking British royal family, they are all subordinate to its function. Not everybody gets to interact with this machine in precisely the same way upon winning an election, you know. And there is incessant interfactional warfare because of this. But what the proliferation of the spooked up version of Promise offered any of the warring factions who could snag a copy was something they thought would help them gain control of this machine, or at least keep tabs on their enemies and rivals and screw them over when appropriate. You know, total control, total leverage, total awareness. And this is from Wired, this is just to remind you. Quote, 
With a staggering 570,000 lines of computer code, Promise can integrate innumerable databases without requiring any reprogramming. In essence, Promise can turn blind data into information, and anyone in government will tell you that information, when wielded with finesse, begets power. Converted to use by intelligence agencies, Promise can be a powerful tracking device capable of monitoring intelligence operations, agents, and targets instead of legal cases. So, as we know, Poppy Bush lost the election to Bill Clinton, but on his way out the door, he pardoned his underbosses, you know, for their role in Iran-Contra, and he struck a deal with Slick Willy, which was basically, you know, go easy on these remaining investigations, you know, fight the fires where you can, and I'll withhold criticism for your first year uh, as president. Now, Clinton was beholden to this third way, as we also know, and this is really bullshit for everything Reagan did, but with better media spin, you know, and a better haircut, I suppose. So Clinton and his network were now ostensibly in control of the machine, or certainly interacting with it, you know, but not in exactly the same way Poppy Bush had been. And this is because they weren't quite in the club the way that Poppy and his network were. But for all that, Bill understood the rules of the game perfectly because he was from a family that had ties to the New Orleans Mafia through his Uncle Raymond, who he was a car dealer and a slot machine king was Uncle Raymond. And he actually financed Bill's early forays into politics. You know, Clinton was brought up in this environment of reciprocal favors. It's not the first time we're going to hear that phrase tonight. And then on top of that, you know, you've got these long-standing rumors that Clinton was actually recruited as a CIA asset while he was at Oxford and uh, getting ready to go for a, a trip to the USSR. So his approach to the White House was perfectly in sync with the majority of the Reagan-Bush years. You know, nothing changes, everything goes ahead as before. So you launch a missile here, you sell some weapons there close down a troublesome investigation or two, just make sure the machine's constituent parts are oiled and working for when the real power players return to office. And in exchange, we will reward you, you know. And incidentally, across the Atlantic Ocean, a little fella called Tony Blair is taking notes here. So Clinton was inheriting a number of long-running scandals that received various amounts of press attention. You know, he was bringing more than a few of his own into the White House with him, and his ability to deal with them would serve as a test of loyalty to those real power players. We are primarily interested in these scandals only when they are relevant to Promise and the octopus, although I am aware that by this point, our conception of what the octopus is has expanded somewhat, you know. So for that reason, this is not an episode about the Clinton presidency per se, or his various sex crimes and financial misdeeds, because we'd get lost in the weeds and we would never finish this fucking thing. This is a, a murkier, trickier story, and it's about more than any one guy. So this episode and the next one are built off the accounts of a handful of underworld fixers, political operatives, desperado types, you know. And what I think you'll see tonight is a very vivid illustration 
of why so much of this part of the story is difficult to tell. You have people who are knowingly spreading disinformation to serve some other agenda. You have people who were telling the truth and sometimes wound up being thoroughly discredited by uh, media smear jobs or by the, you know, through their associations with other people. And then you have people who are spreading what they believe to be true information. But the information came from one of those disinformation agents. And these agents may have sprinkled in a little bit of truth to add credibility to all the lies, you know, which further confuses everything. And the thing is, it's almost impossible to tell who is who once you reach the 1990s part of the octopus timeline. So I'm not going to stake out too strong a position one way or the other on the reliability of most of what they had to say, because so much of it was and is, it's just fundamentally unverifiable, you know what I mean? But I'm going to present their stories to you I'm going to try and submerge you in this paranoid uh, pre-millennial atmosphere of the last days of the 20th century. And I recommend you grab a little popcorn and figure out what you make of all of this as we go along, you know. And when there's something that I do think is true, I will try and make a point of saying so. So we're concerned with mood and vibe tonight rather than, you know, cold hard facts. And one thing in particular... I want you to ask yourself during part one and two of this Arkansas expedition is why these dark, depraved, fucked up stories and rumors have forever surrounded uh, Poppy Bush and the rise and continued existence of the Clintons, you know? And if those rumors and stories maybe offer us something deeper and more instructive about how the world works rather than just, you know, fixating on factoids and trivia. We're also going to tie off a lingering loose end tonight as well, which is Earl Bryan. So if you are ready, if you've come this far, friends, then perhaps you are willing to explore a little more of the seafloor with me. To unlock the rest of this episode, please head over to patreon.com forward slash ghost stories for the end. 